Thank you for joining us today. We'll begin our study of the letter of Paul to the Galatians. We'll be discussing the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. So if you'll open your Bibles up to Galatians chapter 1, we'll begin our lesson. And why don't we begin in prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you for this time and for this group and the opportunity to gather together. And we gather, Father, because we want to continue to grow in our relationship with you. While we come and we gain information, we really want the Holy Spirit to teach us to apply it in our life and help us leave after this lesson changed, transformed, continued to transform into the people that you want us to be. Father, we need new hearts. Our hearts just are a mess and It's only through the work of the Holy Spirit we know that our hearts can be changed so that we can have a heart for you and live our lives the way you want us to live. And so, Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit's presence here with us to help guide our discussion. Let it be your words, not my words this morning, as well as anyone who might speak up that we can all learn from one another. And we thank you for all your continued blessings on us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, today we're starting a new book. We're going to be in the letter of Paul to the Galatians. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. And actually, Galatia is a region, okay? So there's several cities and churches there. This letter, the theme is mainly about being justified through faith alone, that our salvation comes through our faith alone, and it's by God's grace alone. Our works don't contribute to that at all. That's what this letter is all about. Paul wrote this during probably either his second or third missionary journey described in Acts 13 through 14. And this letter actually later then became the cornerstone of the Protestant Reformation when the Protestant church separated from the Catholic church. And it was because of the teaching of salvation by grace alone, not works, that Paul describes in this letter. That's what the false teachers were teaching at the time to the Galatians, and that's what this letter primarily focuses on, salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Some of the false teachers were teaching, yeah, you had to have faith in Jesus Christ, but you also had to earn your way through works using then the Jewish traditions of works, righteousness, and things like being circumcised and keeping the Mosaic law and Jewish traditions. You had to do all that as well in order to maintain your salvation. And Paul says, no, that's not the true gospel, as we'll read in the coming weeks. Paul established these churches in Galatia. Galatia is located in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. In some of the cities you've probably heard referred to before, like Antioch and Lystra, Iconium, Derbe. In fact, you'll remember the story when Paul was stoned and left for dead. You can read that in Acts 14, verses 19 through 20. That was in Galatia where that happened. A little bit about Paul real quick. We've been studying Paul's letters the last months, I guess. And so this is another one of Paul's letters to the churches that he established, trying to correct some of their false doctrine that was beginning to happen after he left. And a little bit about Paul, just as a refresher. Remember, Paul was basically a Christian terrorist before he became an apostle and called by Jesus to be an apostle. He was not one of the original 12 apostles. 
but he was called by Jesus. Let me just show you a few verses just to set up who Paul was and is. Go over to Acts, and remember Acts is the next book after the four Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And let's look real quick at Acts chapter 7. Let me start in there. I'm just going to kind of show you some verses that give you a little bit of history of who Saul was so we know who wrote this. Where we are right here in chapter 7, this is Stephen, and he was giving his testimony, and it made the religious leaders so mad when they heard his testimony that they stoned him. And so if you look, let's begin in verse 54. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him, at Stephen. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he, being Stephen, gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So Jesus is standing, getting ready to receive Stephen. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, this is all the religious leaders, and covered their ears and they rushed upon him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's Paul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. He died, continuing on into chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. You see that? And that's Paul. This is before his conversion. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. So you see, this is before Paul's conversion, and he is going after Christians with a vengeance, bringing them, and some like Stephen, even some of them were put to death. Now, go on to the next chapter. Let me just skip ahead into chapter 9 of Acts. And we see verse 1. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, that's Christians, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Okay? So he gets these letters. He wants to go round up Christians, bring them in for persecution. Uh, And you can read on, but basically the rest of chapter 9 is Paul's conversion. You can see in verse 3, a light came from heaven, flashed around him, and he fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is Jesus speaking to him. And Paul said, who art thou, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and it shall be told you what you must do. And you can read the rest of the story, but basically Paul gets converted. Now, Paul was a very well-known and highly respected Jewish leader. And he gave all of that up, all of that up to follow Jesus. He established these churches. He was basically sent to be the apostle for the Gentiles, meaning the non-Jews. 
He still preached to the Jewish people, but he really was the one that took all these missionary journeys that we read about when we were studying Acts, setting up various churches. So that's who Paul is. What we'll see here is one of the best ways for false teachers to discredit the truth is to really deny the authority of the person who is teaching the truth, and that's Paul. And so in order to discredit his gospel message, a lot of the false teachers were trying to say Paul wasn't really an apostle. He wasn't one of the original 12. He was only doing this for himself. He didn't really care about the people in Galatia. It, same thing that we saw in Corinthians. So let's begin Galatians. Go back over to Galatians and we'll begin in verse 1. Paul, he always begins his letters saying who he is. Paul, he's the one writing this, an apostle not sent from men nor through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So Paul right off the bat says, look, I'm an apostle. I wasn't sent by men. I was sent by Jesus Christ. This is Paul's authority. And he was sent. That's what apostle means. It's one sent. He was sent by Jesus to bring the message of God. That's his purpose. And Jesus had appeared to him and called him to bring this message to others. Verse 2, And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So Paul's not alone. He also has people, believers who are with him, which also shows his authority. That it isn't just Paul by himself, some lone guy out teaching whatever he wants to teach. He has followers as well that the Lord has blessed him with. And by the way, this letter to the Galatians, you might think of it, it was sort of like a circular letter because he had established these churches in these various cities in this region. So he wrote this letter to the Galatians, which is a region, but then the letter would circulate to all the churches in the Galatian region. And he continues on. He says in verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he begins right off the bat talking about grace. It's grace, not works. And grace and peace are probably two of the most important aspects of the true gospel. It is by grace. It isn't anything that we contribute to. It's a free gift that God extends to us. And when we accept that gift, we have tremendous peace because we are assured of our salvation we know our sins have been forgiven, and that should just bring incredible peace to us that others should see that and want to learn more about it when they see the peace that we have. So he begins, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Let me unpack this a little bit. So, first of all, you see Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us out of this present evil age. So, you can see it's grace. It's not works. It isn't anything that we do. Jesus is the one who is delivering us out of this present evil age, which is this age of Satan. Satan is ruling the world, and it's Jesus Christ who is going to save us. It doesn't say plus anything that we'd have to do to contribute to it. It's very clear. It just says Jesus is going to deliver us out of the present age. And it's according to the will of our God and Father 
to whom be the glory forevermore. So our salvation brings glory to God, but it's Jesus that delivers us from our sin. It's not our works. We do nothing to contribute to it other than we need a Savior. We're lost, and Jesus Christ is the one who has rescued us. Let me just touch on this real quick because I know I've got, well, a lot of my family, and I've got lots of Catholic friends, and I used to be Catholic. And the Catholic Church believes that it goes back. They look at Peter as really being the very first pope. And so they really, in a way, view the Bible as having been written by the church. That's how they view it. So that's why they also believe that popes following Peter can interpret the Bible, add to the Bible, change the Bible. And when the pope makes pronouncements, it is equivalent to God's word. And so that's why Catholics believe lots of things that are not in the Bible that are not biblical. It's because the Pope has made these pronouncements and that's authority in their eyes that is equivalent to God's word. Now, let me quickly follow that up and say, from my standpoint, my belief is that God's word doesn't change. God gave us his word. You don't add to it. There have been lots of religions that try to add to God's word. You can take Islam, and Muhammad said he received revelation from an angel. You can take Mormonism, who they say Joseph Smith heard all this stuff, and they read their book of Mormonism right next to the Bible, and I mean, there's lots of denominations that add to, change, ignore, use black highlighters on verses they don't want to read or just don't think apply anymore. I happen to believe that this is God's word. It doesn't change. God gave it to us, and we're not to add to it or skip over the parts that we don't like. And so that's one of the reasons that Catholics believe that you've got to place your faith in Jesus Christ, but then you have to do a whole bunch of other things. They have these various things that you have to continue to do in order to obtain even more grace. And hopefully at the end, you don't ever know for sure. We'll let you know when you get there if what you did was good enough to get to heaven. That's sort of how it worked from their standpoint. You're not going to find any verses that say that, but I'm just trying to clarify. And this is precisely what Paul is trying to correct in the churches in Galatia because they took the true gospel of Jesus Christ and they started adding all these things to it to try to say, yeah, well, you got to believe in Jesus Christ, but now you got to do all these other, like you have to get circumcised. You have to do all of these other things that are man-created in order to have salvation. And Paul is correcting them and saying that is just absolutely not right. Let me show you why I believe what I believe real quick. If you go over to 2 Timothy, just go a bunch of books over to the right, and it'll be before Hebrews. Hebrews is a big book, so if you get to Hebrews, go back over to the left. And when you find Timothy, keep your finger there because we're going to refer to a couple of verses over there this morning. But look at 2 Timothy 3.16, and it says, all scripture, so that's everything in this Bible. It isn't, you know, all scripture except for the ones that you choose to ignore. It's all scripture is inspired by God. So it's God's word. It's God breathed. It is a product of God. It's given by God. It goes on to say it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So all scripture, every word in this book is inspired by God. And so I just happen to be one that says you don't change what God said. 
God doesn't change. So that's where I get that. And that's what Paul would tell you as well. So let's go back now. Keep your finger in 2 Timothy because we're going to go back over there and it'll be easy for you to find. So let's go back over to Galatians. Paul says in verse 6, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, meaning it's really not another gospel, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Okay, let's unpack this a little bit. So he says he's amazed, he's bewildered, he's appalled that people are deserting Jesus Christ. The word, when you go back and look at the original language here, deserting, it's a military term that talks about deserting the military, which is deserving of death, which when you desert the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's what you're going to end up with is death. And what is this gospel of Christ? Go over just one book. This is the key verse, in my opinion, on what is the gospel of Christ. Go over to Ephesians 2, and let me read verses 8 through 10. This is some of my favorite text. I use this when I'm sharing the gospel with non-believers all the time. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So your faith is the gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one should boast. So it's very clear that our salvation is through our faith, which is a gift from God. It doesn't say you're saved through faith, plus as long as you do some other things, you might have a shot. In fact, it says the exact opposite. It says it is a gift of God and it is not a result of works. All right? And so when people start adding things and saying, well, you got to believe, but then you got to go do all these other things. You're basically saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ and I believe he was the son of God. But, you know, his death, burial and resurrection, it just wasn't quite good enough to get me saved. He needs my help. So I've got to do some stuff. I mean, that's what you're saying. And that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a false gospel. And that's what Paul is saying. When it comes to works, a lot of people stop at verse 9, but look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, For we are his, meaning God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we should have good works when we become Christians. It says, Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this verse is really of recent, I guess, because I've been talking about it so much. It's really come to light to me now to think about it that God has created these good works for us like tomorrow. God's created some good works for me tomorrow. I've just got to live into them, okay? I've got to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. He's already prepared some good works for me to do tomorrow, but if I'm not in tune with the Holy Spirit and into the Word and I go off and try to do my own thing, I'm going to miss the opportunity to do the good works that God prepared for me. So my good works aren't even my works. They're prepared for God, and they're given to me by the Holy Spirit. When anything good comes out of me, it's not me. And so to think that some of these denominations and religions that, yeah, I'm going to add to, you know, it's all about me, it's not biblical. 
And this verse right here, I think, just says it all. Uh, you know, what more needs to be said? It's so clear in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go back over to Galatians. And so Paul's saying he is bewildered why people would so quickly walk away from grace and put this yoke back on themselves of having to do something to earn their way. Why would you do that? Well, that's our nature. I mean, we all want to feel like we contributed something, you know? I mean, that's our flesh. It's like, I don't want it to be given to me. I want to do something. I want to do something to earn it. That's our flesh wanting to do that. And it's not biblical. And what Paul is saying is as soon as you start thinking that's the gospel, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ at all. Look what he says. He goes on. He's talking about these people who are disturbing you. Those are the people who are preaching this false gospel and leading them away of just pure grace. And we've been warned that we're going to have people like that. Hold your finger here. Go back over to the left. Just one book. Go over to 2 Corinthians 11. Let me show you a couple of verses. 2 Corinthians 11, and I want to look at verse 14 through 15. It says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So Satan comes into the church even as a false friend, not as an open enemy. He doesn't take over the pulpit by attacking it. He actually stands in it and tries to put out this false narrative. Verse 15, Therefore it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. So they're going to be judged. But Satan, which by the way means accuser, he tries to separate men from God using deception and deceiving people. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we see some of these churches that are starting to follow false doctrine. Let me show you one other verse. Go over to Acts 20. Go back over to the left from Corinthians. Acts 20. And I want to look at verse 28. Acts 20, 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after, this is Paul talking, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. So we get attacked both inside and outside the congregation. There's a spiritual warfare going on out there, and Satan works in some really interesting ways. So let's go back over to Galatians. Paul's going to continue, and he says, I'm in verse 8, But even though we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, so even though somebody shows up and saying that they have authority and you know they had this revelation from heaven, but they start teaching something different than the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul had been teaching, what does he say? He says, let them be accursed, or your translation may say anathema, which means let them be damned. Let them be separated from God is what he's saying. The greatest enemies of God are not the people who openly reject Jesus Christ. It's the people who use deception to try to just cloud things just a little bit and get the gospel of Jesus Christ all convoluted and adding a lot of crazy things to the gospel. Verse 9, as we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that 
which you received, meaning from Paul, let him be accursed. So Paul's also saying, and I don't normally come on this strong, and so if I'm offending anybody, I apologize. I don't mean to offend you. I'm just reading what's here and trying to teach truth. But if you happen to be at a church that's preaching a false gospel, that's teaching, adding things to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then Paul's saying that's not even the gospel. And he's even saying you're disobeying God to stay somewhere like that that is teaching a false gospel. I mean, what is he saying? He's saying let you be separated from God. Let you be accursed. Go back over to Timothy again. I told you we were going to go back over there. Second Timothy 2.15. And it says, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. And so the truth is here. This is so clear what Paul is saying. This is the truth. And so to listen to something different than this, Paul's just saying you're on some shaky ground. Verse 10, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And so the false teachers, they were saying that Paul was teaching this sort of easy gospel of grace, that it's so easy, and he was just teaching that so that he could gain popularity. And Paul's saying, you know what? He isn't doing this for himself. He's doing this to honor God. And this is the gospel that Jesus Christ had given him. He didn't get that from a man. This came directly from Jesus Christ. He left the high position that he had with the Jewish religious leaders in order to be devoted to Jesus Christ. And this gospel that he's teaching was totally contrary to what he had been taught, which is really interesting to me when I've talked to my family members and other Catholics. Sometimes I'll talk about this and they'll say, Larry, but that's so different than what I was taught. And I said, you know what? I say this to him. You're absolutely right. It's totally different than what I was taught as a young boy. And it wasn't my parents' fault. They were teaching me what they were taught. But you got two choices now. You can go with what you were taught or you can go with what God says. Read the Bible and then it's between you and God. What is God telling you to do? And what does God say? Forget about what you were taught. What is God saying in his book, in his word to you? And what is he putting on your heart? So Paul's saying he isn't trying to do this to make himself look good. He's teaching the true gospel, which is different from what he had been taught. But now God has spoken to him, just like God is speaking to us through his Bible. How do Catholics reconcile Galatians? Well, they don't try to reconcile. What they say is, yeah, there's grace. That's step one. But then the Pope has said, you've got to do these other sacraments. And it begins with the sprinkling of an infant. That's the first sacrament. And that's the beginning of the imparting grace into you. And their approach is you've got to do these sacraments and continue to do them and each time and by the way the sacraments can only be given by a priest and that is what imparts grace to you so grace is imparted to you as you go along and you do these various things so it's like the church through the priests are what gives you your grace as opposed to it being what's written here it's a gift from god it's a free gift from god that you don't contribute to 
So I don't really know that they reconcile it. They just view when the Pope has made these pronouncements, that's as good as what's in the Bible. And so that's what we're going with. The Pope has interpreted it that way. That's what it says. That's what the Pope proclaims. And that's what we're going with. So that's not a good answer. I know you feel a little bit like I didn't answer your question, but that's kind of because when you believe what God's written, it's kind of hard to hang on to that. And again, I don't mean to be offending anyone or I'm just reading the truth. And if you feel a little uncomfortable, it might be the Holy Spirit talking to you. In a way, I was like Paul. This wasn't what I was taught either. This isn't what I grew up with, but this is God's word. So I'm going with what God wrote and is telling me here. Verse 11, for I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. So again, he didn't get this from men. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. So he embraced Judaism. I mean, he was a leader. He was highly thought of. And he practiced the traditions that he had been taught. And yet now he's discarded all of his former Jewish traditions and teachings because Jesus told him what the true scripture is. His traditions and what he had been taught, he's learned, were not biblical. And so he's going with what God has said rather than what he was taught. So Paul's testimony is he's saying nothing from his Jewish foundation provided the source of truth that he now proclaims. He was totally devoted to the law and to his traditions. And now Jesus has opened his eyes to see that that's not how you get there. He was trusting Abraham's blood that he had. He now sees that we're all sinners and you can't get there on your own. You can't get there through your works, but God has a plan for us. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ for us. Verse 15, but when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. So the time period he's talking about is probably somewhere around A.D. 34 when this all happened. And he's saying Jesus appeared to him. Jesus gave him these revelations He's been called to preach Jesus to the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. And he knows he got it from Jesus Christ, so he didn't consult with anybody else. That appearance of Jesus to him is good enough for him. It was a supernatural thing. And God chose him, called him through his grace. It wasn't anything Paul did. It wasn't anything he did to earn it. You see that. It says it was through God's grace that he was called even before he was born, set him apart, much like King David was set apart. Let me just show you that real quick. There's lots of examples in the Bible. King David knew that he was set apart, First Chronicles 28, over in the Old Testament. I'll just read it real quick for you. I'm in verse 3. But God said to me, being David, 
You shall not build a house for my name because you are a man of war and have shed blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen Judah to be a leader. And in the house of Judah, my father's house, and among the sons of my father, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all of Israel. He goes on. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. So God has a plan, and he chooses each of us. We all have been chosen. God has, as I was mentioning in Ephesians 2, verse 10, he already has good works that he has planned for us. The question is, are we living into them? Are we living our life the way God planned for us. He's called us as Christians. He set us apart. But are we living into that life that God called us to live? Paul's going on to say when Jesus appeared to him, he didn't go say, hey, let me go check in with the 12 apostles. He knew who they were. I mean, he was the persecutor of all Christians. He knew who these people were. But what did he do? He went out and prayed. Look, verse 18. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, who is Peter, the rock, and stayed with him 15 days. So first, Paul went to pray and to study and to be with the Lord. He did that for three years before he went to check in with the other apostles. So that's where he learned the gospel, directly from Jesus Christ. And then Jesus sent him to go meet with the apostles. He didn't go to Jerusalem to get trained by them. He was only there 15 days, and we'll see he was really only with some of them. He had received the gospel from Jesus, and that's what Paul's saying. That's his whole point here. He didn't receive it from man. He received it from Jesus Christ. Verse 18, Then three years later I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, who's Peter, the rock, and stayed with him 15 days. He didn't go there. This is not part of the famine relief that's later that we read about in Acts 11, verse 30. And when we were in Acts, we read it was Barnabas who really helped Paul get in to see Peter. You can go look at that in Acts 9, 26. And Paul continues on in verse 19. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, this can be very confusing because, first of all, the Lord's brother, James, is not an apostle, although Paul calls him one here. He is not one of the original 12. This James, the Lord's brother, wrote the book of James. There's two James that are apostles, so that can be very confusing. There's James, who we've talked about before, who's a brother of John, and they're both sons of Zebedee. So that's one James, and that James was very close to Jesus. James and John and Peter were the three closest to Jesus. They were part of his inner circle. Then there's another apostle, James, who is the son of Alphaeus, and sometimes he's referred to as James the Lesser or James the Younger. You can see that in Mark 15, verse 40. It's even further confusing because that James' mother is named Mary, So it can be very confusing with all these Jameses and Marys and what have you. Now, I'll also point out that some denominations say that Jesus' mother Mary was a perpetual virgin. She didn't have any other kids. The Protestants believe what's written in the Word, that Jesus had brothers and sisters through Joseph and Mary. 
If you look at Mark 6, let me show you where that comes from just to give you some biblical support for that because you'll hear that sometimes in other denominations. Look at Mark 6, verse 3, and it says, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? We don't even know who his sisters are. They're never mentioned by name, but Jesus clearly had brothers and sisters, and that's what the Gospel of Mark tells us. There's references elsewhere. So I'll leave you with that. Let me continue on. Let me just finish up here and then we'll open it up for questions. Verse 20. Now in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I'm not lying. So here Paul is actually even swearing an oath. So perhaps this discussion here, he's getting a little heated with the Galatians, but he's showing that he is not acting on his own authority. That's what he's saying. James, Peter, and John, they were the closest to Jesus and they even acknowledged that Paul had the authority of an apostle sent by the Lord Jesus. We'll see that next time. Just skip down Galatians 2 verse 9. It says, In recognizing the grace that had been given to me, being Paul, James, Cephas, who is Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we might go to the Gentiles and they to, to the circumcised. So Paul's focus was to be on the non-Jews and Peter and James and John, their ministry was going to be focused on the Jewish people. I'll also point you to, I'll just read it for you real quick, Second Peter. So even Peter's letter himself, when he was writing about Paul, that's over in Second Peter 3, verse 14. So he's writing about Paul in Peter's letter. He says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regarding the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. So here's Peter actually confirming what Paul had been writing, okay, saying this is the salvation that Paul has been talking about. Now, sometimes there's humor in the Bible. Verse 16, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. So even Peter sometimes had a hard time understanding everything that Paul said. But he's saying, which the untaught and unstable distort, and they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. So again, he's saying, don't change the scripture. Do what it says. Even Peter says, sometimes scripture is hard to understand, but Paul's writings were inspired and they're equivalent to God speaking. God spoke through Paul. It is God's word, is what even Peter is saying. So let's go back over to Galatians and finish up. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Paul's saying that he didn't spend a lot of time there in Jerusalem, but the gospel message that he was teaching was the very same thing that they were hearing in Jerusalem. He was only there 15 days. He was unknown personally by many people there. Even though Paul used to burn churches and go after Christians, he's totally changed. And the gospel message that he was proclaiming elsewhere was exactly the same as what the apostles were preaching to the Jews in Jerusalem. 
Nobody but the Lord directed him, and that's where his authority came from. He didn't get his message from the apostles. It was directly from the Lord. So as I summarize what we've read today, there's teachers out there and pastors and what have you. They may be really sincere, but they could be entirely wrong if they're not going by what the Word of God is. They're teaching something counter to what's written in this book, as we see in a lot of religions and denominations. I think this is also telling us that perversion of the truth is sometimes harder to spot than people who are out there that just totally deny Jesus Christ and say you're crazy to believe it. It's the people who have a little messed up theology that can deceive us more than anybody. And I think Paul's also showing us that our testimony can be very powerful to anybody. We shouldn't be adding anything to grace and our salvation through God's grace, through our faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. That's the gospel. And finally, we should just be so thankful of the gift that God's given us. What a relief that we can't earn it. It is so precious, we can't contribute to it other than our need for it. God loves us that much. And just think of the good works that God has prepared for us as Christians to walk into. And let's just try to be more mindful to rely on the Holy Spirit to enable that to happen. So let me open it up for any questions or comments that you might have. We're going to have fun in this book in the coming weeks. I'd also ask you just to think of people that you know that might be living their life according to an incorrect gospel. They may in their hearts and minds think they're being so faithful and they never miss church and wherever they're going, you know, uh, and yet they've added what they've been taught is just not biblical. Pray for them and ask the Holy Spirit to use you in a way to at least point out to them that let's look at what the Bible says and show them Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 anyway. There's so many places that you can look. You can go over and look at John three sixteen. I, I point this out to people. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't say that whoever believes in him and does X, Y, Z and add to it and then we'll let you know if you make it. That's not what it says. It says that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You don't add anything to it. So you can just show them in love. Just say, hey, I want to show you some things that I've learned in the Bible. And I'd ask you to just pray about it because it's a little different. And it's easy for me to say because I, I say it to them. It's like, this is totally different than what I grew up being taught. It's, it's totally different. I just want to show you what I've learned through the Bible. And this is what God has told me. And I'll leave it between you and God to sort through where is the truth. So, Larry, you know, there's some mention in the book about Martin Luther, and this is what really brought about the Reformation. What's the historical background of that? Obviously, it must have really kicked off the institution of Catholicism, I guess. But can you give us a little context on that? That's a great question. So the Protestant Reformation, reformers like you mentioned, Martin Luther, who was in Germany, and John Calvin, who was in France, they got to the point where they started protesting these various unbiblical practices of the Catholic Church, that they were traditions, they were things that the Catholic Church were doing, but they were contrary to what was in the Bible. And so they were trying to promote a return to the sound biblical doctrine. And that's this 
Protestant Reformation. That all began when Luther posted 95 theses on the door of this church in the year 1517. They were 95 things that were just incorrect in Catholic teaching. So he posted them on the door, and that was the beginning then of this Reformation. Part of this issue that they struggled with was the Catholic Church believed in this apostle succession, with Peter being the first pope, and then successive popes after that. Again, there's no biblical source for that. In fact, the Bible says, don't add to this, don't take away from it, this is God's word. And yet, the Catholic Church views Peter as the first pope, and then they have this process to select additional pope, even to this day. And so, this, the Catholic Church views this sort of unbroken chain of authority makes the Roman Catholic Church the only true church, which is why if you go there and you're not Catholic, you can't have communion. you got to be in the fold of the Catholic Church. That's what they believe. They also believe in the infallibility of the pope. So when the Pope speaks, there can be no wrong, which is interesting to me when they say, well, Peter was the first Pope. Well, look how many times Peter messed up, you know? I mean, he even denied Jesus Christ three times. But that's one of the major differences between Catholics and Protestant is they put then, because of that, they put whatever the Pope, when he's speaking ex cathedra, making pronouncements like this, that it is equal to the Bible itself. So that's where the differences then spring out of that. So it started out, some of the practices were pretty small, but then kept adding to them and adding to them over the years. But by the 16th century, Luther, who by the way was a Roman Catholic monk, he began challenging the authority of the Pope What he really challenged, one thing he really couldn't stand is that's when they came out with this concept of purgatory and that you could pay money to the church to get other people in your family or even yourself out of purgatory. All right. Again, nothing in the Bible about that, but a pope said, yeah, we're going to do that. And so Luther was trying to get Roman Catholic Church to reform, but they refused. And so that's when the Protestant Church broke away. That's the Reformation. So then there were lots of people that then started. John Knox started the Presbyterian Church in Scotland using Calvin Doctrine and Anglican Church started in England. So that's really when it all began to answer that part of your question. But then the Protestant reformers, they developed what is now known as these five essential points of biblical doctrine, which clearly separate Protestants from Roman Catholics. And the first one is, it's Scripture alone, okay? The Bible is the sole authority for all matters of faith and practice. You don't add to it. There aren't other people who can say they had a vision, you know, or whatever. If it's not in Scripture, it doesn't have authority. That was a real strike against the Catholics. Martin Luther says, I don't accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they've contradicted each other. My conscience is captive in the Word of God. That's the first one. The second one is salvation by grace alone, which we're studying in Galatians now. That is a big separation between Protestants and Catholics. We as Protestants, and based on what's in Scripture, we're saved from God's wrath by his grace alone. It's not from any work that we do. And so grace is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that brings us to Christ, and that's what Protestants believe. 
Catholics think you got to do a bunch of these other things, sacraments, and you got to do stuff. And by the way, even if you do those, you're not assured of heaven until you get there. The third is salvation by faith alone. So we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone, not by works of the law. It's faith in Christ that then righteousness is imputed to us. And by the way, that's exactly what happened with Abraham. Go read Hebrews 11, which is the faith chapter. And all these people, it says by faith they were saved, by faith, by faith. And by the way, what's interesting about Abraham is he was declared righteous because of his faith. Some, it was years, I can't remember I want to say it was 14, but I could be wrong there. Years before he was circumcised, all right? So even if the Jews want to say, well, yeah, you got to be circumcised. No, God declared Abraham righteous well before the Mosaic law was given or even circumcision. So thought you'd like that. Number four is in Christ alone. And so salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. No one else can save. It was his substitute. Death on the cross was sufficient then for our justification. And then finally, it's all for the glory of God alone. So salvation is of God and has been accomplished by God for his glory alone. And our salvation, as I was saying earlier, is what brings God glory. That's what Paul was saying. Remember when we were talking about that earlier. So anyway, I hope that answers your question. That's a long answer, but I thought I'd add just a little bit more color to it. So I hope you find that helpful. Yeah, that's helpful. Thanks, Larry. Thank you for joining us today. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this podcast and my weekly blog by sending a text to 56316, type Larry in the text box, and hit send. I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our study.